Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. This morning, uh, I want to uh, dive into some words of King David. Uh, King David, the king of ancient Israel, uh, songwriter extraordinaire, um, a child prodigy, giant slayer, most famous king of Israel, not only at the time, but really probably ever. As he reflected in his older years on God's work in his life, he wrote of a table, a table that God had set up for him in the presence of his enemies. So I actually want to start there this morning and get you talking around your tables. Uh, Look around, absorb some other people in if you need to, combine tables if you need to, but a quick conversation. So what I'm going to ask you to do in just a minute is I'm going to ask you to list as many bad guys from movies and books as you can think of, ideally ones that everybody else at your table knows. So if you read the really obscure stuff and you're like, oh yeah, Uh, that cheesy romance novel with that one bad guy who tried to steal the girl. We may not know who that is, but list them if you need to. We're going to rapid fire this thing. So you get 23.5 seconds to list as many bad guys. 23.5. It's a very very specific time, and you think I'm joking, but uh, I'm going to time you. So just letting your brains get warmed up. Everybody's thinking. Okay, ready, set, Go. Yeah, I actually had a debate about that. I think yes, yes, <laughs> villain for sure. Uh, oh, oh. Uh. All right, time's up, time's up. Uh, We came up with the rich guy from every 90s children's movie ever. Uh, So that's a whole lot of them. Um, Definitely heard some Harry Potter references. A little debate about whether Draco is a bad guy or not, but we're going with yes. Um, uh, I always think, uh, I don't know why, (laughs) <laughs> or what this says about my childhood, but when I think about bad guys from movies, TV shows, et cetera, the first person that comes to mind is Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Next time, Gadget. Anyway, I'm not really sure why, but that's, that's, what's, that's what we get. When uh, King David was in his years of wisdom, gray hair on his head, he reflected back on uh, what God had been to him on what God had done for him through all of the ups and downs of his life. There were the lonely years as a young shepherd out tending the sheep on his own. There were years of military conquest and of fame and of personal triumph. There were years of running from Saul, who had been the king of Israel before him, as Saul chased him through desert valleys and mountain caves. There were moments of impressive, successful rule and moments of shameful betrayal. 
And as David reflected on his life and how God had been with him through it, he wrote what is perhaps the most famous bit of scripture, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one that maybe you memorized as a kid if you grew up in church. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard it. It's maybe the one that sneaks into the background of more movies with bad guys who kill people and then there's a funeral scene or whatever. It sneaks into the background of movies and TV shows. It is very familiar to some and maybe it will be new to others. As one commentator put it, perhaps no psalm brings more comfort, peace, trust, and assurance in times of sorrow, distress, and to the aged as the hour of death draws near. So I actually want to gather us around this psalm this morning by reading it in three different versions of scripture. So, or different translations maybe is a better word. So for those of you unfamiliar with kind of how the the Bible comes to be in our English language, we have it in its original language and then it gets translated into English. But when you're translating things from one language to another, there are different ways to interpret things to get at the same meaning and the same phrasing. So maybe the phrasing that works really well for one group of people who's translating scripture does not work as well for another. And in this case, I wanna read three different translations in part because it may be very familiar to you and familiarity breeds comfort. And that's great. It's part of why it is one of the most comforting pieces of scripture besides just the message in it. But it also can numb our senses a little bit and we start to only have one perspective on what it says and what it means. And so I wanna read this in the New King James Version, which may be closer to what some of you memorized a few years back. I wanna read it in the Amplified Version and in the New Living Translation, which will match the Bibles that are on your table in front of you. And as you hear these words, these reflections of a king and a warrior and a shepherd, I hope if they're familiar to you, that you find comfort in that familiarity, but also that there might be something new that God wants to say to you this morning through these words, that whether you've heard this Psalm a thousand times or this is your first time, that God may speak to you through these words today. So in the New King James Version, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the amplified version. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. 
He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. And in the New Living Translation, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The former shepherd boy writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. A question for you to consider this morning and as you look to your week ahead. What if you really do have all that you need? What if you really do have all that you need? That as you look at the week in front of you, the month ahead of you, the season that you're headed into, whatever changes may be coming, what if you really do have all that you need? What if you're able to look at the week ahead of you and say, I have all the love that I need to make it through this week, to make an impact this week. I have all the grace that I need for the people I'm going to encounter this week. I have all the strength and the courage that I need for the challenges that I am facing today in this season. Another way to ask this question is to look at your day or your week and to say, how would a person who has all that they need engage with my day today? How would a person who has all that they need approach the meetings, the conversations, the situations, the challenges that lie ahead of me today? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In the New King James Version, they have a little note that said that might be best translated, that phrase still waters, as waters of rest. And there's something about that phrase that captures my heart and my attention. That God would lead us to waters of rest. It just sounds good. The shepherd boy 
recalls the gentle streams for the sheep to drink with no worries that they would be carried away and washed downstream. Recalls the green pastures that the shepherd did nothing to create, right? David's not out there with Scott's turf builder and Roundup weed killer making the green pastures. He comes upon them with his flock of sheep and God has provided them for him and for his sheep to rest, to eat, to be provided for. Pastures of plenty and waters of rest. I have all that I need. I'd love to have you ponder this question at your table together. We'll give you two or three minutes. What stops you from resting? When rest feels out of reach, when it just feels impossible, or when it feels like something you don't actually want to do, what are the reasons why? What stops you from resting? Think about it, take a couple minutes, talk about it at your table. I'll call us back together in a minute. All right, bring it back together. Good conversation, good thoughts. Things that stop us from resting. As David reflects on his life and as he looks back on all that he has done, all the things that God has helped him to do that made him famous and popular and a person we still talk about today, With all the things God helped him do, David is grateful 
for the times that God helped him do nothing. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. He restores and refreshes my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me. He leads me into rest. He leads me to good choices and actions. He leads me. And there's the rub, right? Is that to find this rest, we have to let God lead. But if we let somebody else lead, the person leading, the being leading, the one leading is in control. They set the agenda, they determine the risk tolerance, they determine the goals. Following a leader is an inherent form of trust. We would actually have to trust that we can let go of control and let God be in control, and that is legitimately hard. God actually set up this whole rest idea explicitly for his people from the very beginning of scripture. On the very first page, we watch as God makes the world and it says on the seventh day, he rested. And then as God is setting up society, his people and the society they're going to live as his representatives in the world, he sets a Sabbath, a 24-hour period of rest where they do nothing. He says, I'll provide for you. You stop. You cease the striving. He sets that up from the very beginning. It's one of the most important things he talks about. It's in what we now call the Ten Commandments, right up there with don't murder and don't steal and listen to your parents. Like, rest. Take a break. For whatever reason, that one seems a lot easier to ignore than don't kill people, which is, I suppose, good. But we were talking about this concept of Sabbath at a men's retreat a couple of years ago, and I really like this definition uh, that we sort of came up with. I think as a group, uh, it has stuck with me and been helpful to me, and it's this, that Sabbath is doing nothing laborious. Some of that is just fun because laborious is a fun word to say and you don't have very many opportunities in this life. So Sabbath is doing something laborious. So the example that the speaker gave at uh, men's retreat is that he really likes doing yard work. So on his Sabbath day, he's out working in the yard and enjoying it and it's relaxing and it's a great time. Good for him, not my story. Mm -mm. Uh, like maybe the ride around on the tractor part, maybe, but mm, uh, not my story. I will not be caught weeding on a Sabbath day. It will not be very restful for me. Now, I'm not saying that a Sabbath is one of those days where you just have no responsibilities. Like some of y'all celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day where that just means that mom or dad does nothing all day. The other parent takes care of the kids, the whole thing, fantastic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like doing no responsibilities whatsoever. And there is sort of an interesting question here. If Sabbath is doing nothing laborious, sometimes my kids are laborious. Like I, there's just, <laughs> just the way that goes. 
What do, what do we do when we've got kids at home? Maybe you've got a parent at home, an, an aging parent that you're taking care of, somebody with disabilities. Maybe you've got animals, you live on a farm. You've got, you've got things to do. These aren't optional things that just take a break. So maybe another way to think about this, and this little phrase, like I said, has been really helpful to me and, and given me permission to rest. But as I've dug into it some, I think it's helpful maybe to think of Sabbath as a day where we're not trying to prove anything to anyone. You're not trying to prove that you have value. You're not trying to prove what you can accomplish. You're not trying to prove that you're better than other people, that your lawn can look better than neighbor Bob's, or that your, your house can be cleaner than your mom's house, or any of those kinds of things. You're just resting. There's nothing to prove. No achievement to latch your value to. No performance to prop your ego up. Sabbath is not a day of proving. It is a day of remembering and reminding. Reminding your family that you love them. Reminding yourself that you don't create the green pastures in this life. God does. Reminding yourself that when you come upon still waters, all of your striving and straining and achieving, that's how you create white water rapids, not waters of rest. Reminding yourself, and note to parents with kids at home, reminding your family that you are not the leader of your life. God is. And sometimes we have to put down the to-do list to remember that it's not about what I achieve or accomplish or prove. It is not about how good of a leader of my life I can be. That God is the leader of my life. Now, our church, I'm very grateful for this. Our church actually builds Sabbath into our staff schedules. So if I don't get back to you on a Friday, it's because that's my Sabbath day. And not that I consider you laborious, most of you, but just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Send me an angry email. I'm going on vacation for the next two weeks. I'll get it that later. Because I'm not checking email while I'm on vacation either. I just, on a Sabbath day, when I'm resting, I'm not working. I'm not checking email. I'm not responding to work texts. It's a day to rest. I'm not going to ignore emergencies. Those happen by all means. Bring them to the table. Let's talk about them. If you're at home doing your Sabbath and your kid catches fire, you're not gonna go, well, Johnny, I'm sorry. It's my Sabbath day. I'll put you out tomorrow. Like, <laughs> you deal with the emergency in front of you. I get it. Some of you are having flashbacks, which worries me. But anyway, never mind. Um, I love that this is built into our rhythms because it is important to rest. Rest matters. Remembering matters. Remembering that God is a good and trustworthy leader. That as we go through life, we're making choppy waters. We're wearing little paths into the green pastures as we worry and pace. And God invites us to rest, to remember that he is good. And so we rest. Now, I also want to acknowledge that many of us don't want to rest. Not really. Because we're afraid that if we rest, if we really stop, our emotions and our anxieties are going to catch up. 
the things that we've been ignoring in our to-do list, like we've just been pouring ourselves into that, get some stuff done. And we're afraid that if we really stop, all of those things we've been running from are gonna catch up. And so we may stop the busyness of our bodies, but we try to keep our minds busy with distractions, numbing out, keeping ourselves thinking about other things so that we don't have to feel the worry, the emotion, the anger, the fear, whatever it may be that we've been running from. We're afraid that if we really sit down with God next to these still waters and we're just there, that the darkness of grief, of fear, of mortality, of anxiety will catch up and overwhelm us. David wrote, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. This is really the act of trust defined, right? That even in the place of danger, I trust you to protect and comfort me. This is what good parents do. And God is a great parent. That our kids can trust us that even in the danger, we will protect and comfort. It's interesting to me that David has used many tools of protection in his life. He's used a sword and a sling, and a shield. And he does have military metaphor in this poem, this song, this psalm, and we will get to them in a second. But he doesn't go there for his protection and comfort. His mind goes back to the shepherd tools of his youth. Valleys of shadow would be valleys with walls, big walls on the side of them, right? This would be an incredibly dangerous place for a shepherd to lead his sheep through or for a general to lead his army through. There could be predators lurking in every shadow along the base of the walls. The enemy could fall on top of you from the ridges next to you. And you do not want to be under the enemy in any situation. And in this position of vulnerability... David says, I am not alone. You are with me. You keep me on the right path. You crook me out of the shadowy places I wander into. You comfort me in my fear. And in our world today, we are told to be afraid of so much our social media feeds, our politicians, our pundits, our preachers, all telling us to be afraid. So this may seem like a dark exercise of sorts, but at your table, I would love to have you brainstorm some things with each other. In your day-to-day, what are you told to be afraid of? What pops up in your social media feeds and your news channels? What pops up in YouTube? What maybe even is the voice inside of you screaming to be afraid of? What, what are you told to be afraid of? Take a couple minutes, brainstorm some things.
and we'll, then we'll talk some more about it. We are told to be afraid of so much. I don't know if it was always like this, but as parents, we are told to be constantly afraid of what could happen to our children. And if you're not afraid, you're not active enough in your kid's life. <laughs> Politicians and influencers alike know that this is the fastest way to gain a following. Convince people to be afraid. Specifically, convince them to be afraid of what will happen if they don't vote for or follow you. If you miss out on this information, if you let the other side win, these are all the disastrous things are going to happen. You better be afraid, but, but you can stop it. You can vote for me. You can click the like button. You can subscribe. You can stop the bad guys from winning. Here's what you should be afraid of. Here's why you should follow me, because if you follow me, if you vote for me, etc., then you can find rest. The voices, if you listen closely, and, and we will have lots of opportunity to listen closely over the next few months as we head into this political season, the voices that instigate fear also tell you that you get to control when the rest happens. That if you can stop the bad guys from winning, if you have just enough information, if you're protected enough in some way, if you can just make the world around you safe enough somehow for you and the people you love, then you can rest. If you make the fear go away, 
then you can rest. Voices who create fear promise that you can create the rest. You can get out the Scots Turf Builder and the Roundup Weed Killer, and you can create that green pasture of rest for yourself. But our trust as Jesus followers is not in our achievement. It is not in the things that we can accomplish. Our trust should not even be in our votes. (laughs) Our trust is in the one who said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus promised to be the shepherd who would lead our lives. He said, you can come to me and I will give you rest. I am the good shepherd and my sheep listen to my voice. They know that I'm good. Voices who create fear promise that you can create the rest. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe? Well, that's a dud if I just blanked out my... All right. Next slide, please. (laughs) Apparently, I can't do it. Awesome. Thank you. Nope, too far. We have one back, one more? Do we go too far? There it is. That's the one I couldn't do. Uh, Dramatic pause for effect. Uh, Voices who create fear promise that you can create the rest. But our trust is in our shepherd, not in our achievement. Our trust is in our shepherd, not in our achievement. And so we rest. And we will not be afraid. And so we come to the table of God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Provision and rest. Not because the enemies went away, but in the midst of them. As commentator Albert Garner said, quote, unlike the soldier on the battlefield that snatches a bite and eats with tension and fear, end quote, God provides a safe meal in the middle of enemy territory. The voices that tell you to be afraid will tell you that if you just defeat all the enemies, then there will be a moment when you can rest. Now, some of you have experienced this in a very different way as you've looked at your to-do list at work and gone, okay, or the projects at home and gone, okay, if I just get to the other side of that, Okay, the other side of this season, the other side of this issue, the other side of this task, then I will be able to rest. And it feels like there's always just another thing because we're trying to create rest through what we accomplish. And God has promised a table of rest in the middle of enemy territory, green pastures in a war zone, a still stream in the valley of danger, a table of laughter and peace and a good meal that the enemies can't touch. You are being invited to this table. This table, oops, this table where fears are stilled, 
where striving cease. This table where the sword is laid down and the shepherd's staff protects and comforts. Listen for the voices of fear that tell you to pick up arms and go to war when God is inviting us to lay down our sword and let the shepherd's staff protect and comfort. This table where the enemies are not gone, but by the blood of Jesus are already defeated. Where you don't have to travel through the shadows of death alone. Where you really do have all that you need. Now, I have a suspicion that we're going to walk out of here and you'll wake up tomorrow or someday in the future and it will feel like the fears and the worries and the enemies of your life are in hot pursuit. And it'll feel like the green pastures are something that you have to create and make happen. The pressures of life and work and comparison will drive you forward, will keep pushing on you, telling you that it's all up to you, that you have to fix it, you have to make it happen, but you will not be alone. No matter what the voices of fear tell you. And this promise will still be there for you. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. As David reflected on his life and on all the ways that he had been pursued by armies, by fan clubs, by political uprisings, all the ways that he had been chased and tracked down, there was one pursuit that was most significant. That no matter where he went or what he did, no matter what valleys of shadow he wandered into, no matter where or how he messed up, no matter what fears he responded to, God's goodness and mercy was always in pursuit. He had never been alone. Now, was he hurt by the enemies of his life? Yes, we all are. Was he overtaken by the shadow of death, both in grief and in the end of his life? Yes, and until Jesus comes back, which may be any moment now, which would be amazing, we are all victims of that shadow. Yet of all the ways that he was pursued, there is one that will last forever. Goodness and mercy and unfailing love. Goodness and mercy and unfailing love will never give up on you. No matter what valleys of shadow you wander into, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're afraid of, your heavenly father will unfailingly shepherd you toward waters 
of rest. You are invited today to this table of rest, this foretaste of eternity. Jesus, that good shepherd, is inviting you to come and rest. He said that we could come to him and we could lay down our burdens, all those worries, all that grief, all that darkness, and he would take it on himself. And he would give us a burden that is light, a table of rest, a feast in the midst of the chaos. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus, it is as simple as saying in your heart or out loud, Jesus, I give my burdens to you. I ask for your forgiveness for the ways I've messed up. And I ask you to take the darkness from my life. Enemies will still hurt. The shadows will still be present. You will not be alone. You will be invited to come and rest. Now, for many of us, this may be the one millionth time we have handed our burdens to Jesus and we keep trying to take him back. It is the same thing. However many times you have dropped them off and picked them back up and walked away, whatever shadows you've wandered into, goodness and mercy and unfailing love will not give up on you. And so we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give you the darkness in my life. And I ask you to forgive me for the ways I messed up. We're invited to this table of rest. We're invited to this foretaste of forever. To sit at this table that sits in the house of the Lord forever. So as we respond to that invitation, let me pray for us. Father God, I do ask for your peace. Whatever burdens, stresses we are carrying this morning, however we need to hear that invitation, God, a press on our heart, a whisper in our ear, a weight on our shoulders, God, would you let each of us know that we're invited? Father, would you accept the burdens that we have chosen to carry around as our very broken offering to you? Would you accept our gratitude? Would you forgive us for our shadows? And would you give us your peace? Thank you for that promise, God, that you take those things and you give us the lightness, the beauty, the hope of your peace and this peace that we could experience forever. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. 
Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.